The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. In a fast-paced world... Every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Hey everybody, Holden here. Just wanted to let you know that today's episode is a Patreon-sponsored one coming from Stuart in Australia. Stuart, thank you so much for your patronage. We really appreciate it. He says, I have nothing to pimp as such, so I'd be ever so grateful if you could give a big shout-out to my awesome daughter who has just turned 13. She's a legend who loves anime and drifting, and it'll tickle her fuchsia if you could wish her a happy birthday. I'm biased, but she's the best kid ever. Once again, thanks, Stuart. Now I'm with the show. Hello, everybody. It's your engineer in space wizard, Holden McNeely. And it's me, your dead girlfriend, Jake. All right, spoiler alert. Your girlfriend's fucking dead. She's clearly dead. Okay, She's can we so please dead. not immediately spoil this series the for everybody? The fact that they even act like it is so condescending. <laughs> and if you read the first letter of every chapter, did you see that? <laughs> of course, it's like the one thing about, about our topic. <laughs> I'm thankful that you put that post on Facebook. By the way, we're doing an episode in Death Space. I'm thankful... <laughs> <laughs> that you put that post on there because I did I didn't know you those did, little things. No, no, you were researching. But bad. I do know that your mom will hate Dead Space is the best advertising the inside, Like from the second, the idea that there's this giant cosmic horror and somehow your sweet blonde girlfriend is fine. And then like you take two steps in the fucking, fucking right. event horizon ship and there's like, <laughs> oh, by the way, uh, the evil thing makes you hallucinate. And you're still expected to be like, I don't know, maybe she's still around. I will say this. I, Jake and I, first of all, we want to go ahead and apologize for only having played the first game. Uh, okay, well, uh, But I more, did play the entire more... first game, and I loved the first game. And, and to the point, it was so effective for me. I even said to myself, like, finally, like, true horror can happen in video games. Because the look, the sound especially, I really was mm-hmm. shocked and impressed by how terrifying their soundscapes were, the way that they just used surround sound, the way they played with your head. It was the first time I really experienced that in a, in a horror video game. And and I did one of those where I really was like, I'm going to have some fun on a Friday night alone after masturbating and eating some gross deli sandwich. I'm going to turn out all the lights. 
and I'm gonna get God, real. Nothing has described out. the life of a New York City comedian <laughs> in his twenties than masturbation yeah. at a deli not sandwich. Not getting on stage <laughs> on a Friday night and instead masturbating eating a bad deli sandwich. Drumming my pain and playing with his fingers. Playing a ba- a borrowed video game. Singing my life with his words. Oh yeah, dude. On my roommate's PS3, right? Like not just none of it is mine, right? Yeah. Um But but yeah, I I 30 minutes in, not even, the lights were back on, and I was like, not, I was like, oh, this is legitimately fucking terrifying, and it was a fear that I hadn't really felt probably since Resident Evil 2, you know? Um, and, and I think it did that for video. It was like Resident Evil 2 was this big step up. I And totally Resident Evil 4, I'm not going to like not say was, you know, obviously a giant inspiration, which we'll talk about more later for Dead Space. But I feel like Dead Space was the next level in, um, in horror video games. It just really just brought a lot of new things to the table. A lot of innovation, which we'll talk about. It Jake? Was, it's the first true horror hit of, what I, of the PS3, Xbox 360, the quote HD era. Mm-hmm. And uh, it allowed to bring in all this fidelity with the backing of a major studio behind it. I only played the first one, but I watched two and three as Let's Plays back when I was I super just watching like hours and hours of Let's Plays at like the that kind of 2000. 12 to 2015. What were your, what were your, did you have, you had go-tos, right? Super best friends. Were they a uh, part of it? Super best friends, uh, a guy named Gum, uh, okay. the game grumps, uh-huh. uh, random weirdos who only had like 2000. That's the joy of, of like the height of let's play mania yeah. was that you just find some random British guy that you just like dug who like you just appreciated, you know, you, they just played in a fashion that, like, you if you let your eyes kind of, like, relax, you'd be like, yeah, I'm basically playing this. <laughs> um, but uh, also, horror games really catapulted. The, you know, PewDiePie wouldn't exist without horror games. Oh, uh, all God, this well, stuff. then, by all means. Markiplier wouldn't exist without <laughs> horror games. Because here's the thing. People like the idea of horror... But people hate being scared. Yes. And that was I, one of the core things that uh, EA just couldn't reconcile when they were, like, producing these games. Because everybody enjoys spooky, hooky, hooky, hoo, skeletons and ghosts. People hate fucking shitting their pants because a tentacle-mouthed monster just went right. right in your fucking face. Right, right, right. If they do that a specific noise in my face, I don't have a very good time with it. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. So, so the, so the, what I'm saying is the mixed signals that there's this perpetual cultural desire for horror, that the ceiling for a horror game should be infinite, but really the people, the elite brotherhood are actually going to sit down and turn off the lights and just try and make themselves shit their pants is very narrow. It is very narrow. And, you know... Even myself, I have come to find that unless I'm streaming a horror game, it becomes harder for me to convince myself to play it solo. I did play uh, Resident Evil 2 solo and loved the hell out of it. Um, so it's not like I'm not into it, but a lot of times when, you know, especially as I get older in age, and I've I've, I've uh, had this conversation with uh, many people, mm-hmm. um, it's just like, all right, do I want to play this, like, fluffy, fun, just chill, relaxing game, or do I want to play this, like, stressful fucking nightmare game right after like a long day of work it it becomes harder and harder I feel like as you get older to really want to (laughs) like to talk yourself into a stressful difficult experience sometimes you know what I mean um 
Although I'm still like, obviously I'm playing like fucking Sekiro right now and you know, whatever, like putting myself through it, the ga- the pain gauntlet, but that's just because I'm some sort of a masochist, I think at this point in the fucking, fucking in the game. But yeah, and I've, I've, you know, I've talked to other people like this that have the same situation where especially like Resident Evil 2 and Nemesis for me were such events mm-hmm. that happened when I was in high school when, you know, I feel like it, when you're younger too, you just have a little bit more energy to put towards getting terrified. And uh, yeah, yeah. And also they are more effectively scary than they've ever been. I mean, I don't want to blow up uh, Ben Kissel's spot from last podcast and left, but the man who is, you know, one of a member of one of the best like horror, scary themed podcasts, uh, you know, ever, uh, had to put down Resident Evil Seven because it was too frightening for him. And for myself personally, I played that on stream, and on stream you have this sensation of oh, there's a bunch of other people in the room with me. You know what I mean? Like so. I'm not as, uh, you know, it's uh, it just knowing, you know, having chat watching so for helps an, you to mentally just be like, oh, I'm with my friends and we're just playing this horror game together and it's a little less visceral. So by the time, ah, pun intended. So by the time Dead Space 1 came out, Resident Evil had kind of suffered from power creep because you do enough sequels and the protagonists get more competent and the threat is explained and the rules are laid out. Mm-hmm. And this happens in almost any horror franchise where it it inevitably becomes an action series. Resident Evil 5 is basically just a a, a fun and run and gun horde shooter. Uh you know Resident Evil 4 even within the bounds of Resident Evil 4 It's such an action game. It becomes an action yeah, game. Yeah, for sure. Uh hor- you know the any horror franchise like inevitably becomes like power creep enters into it. So for many gamers listening right now who for whom the PlayStation 3 was their like first major console Dead Space was it. Dead Space was the originator. They the just like trying to get through the halls of the Ishimura was just the most heart bending, heart pounding, earth bending yeah. uh, experiences of their kind of a uh, gamer awakening. And it really just and it shouldn't have existed. Everything yeah, about the it, EA it is an system. An, an anomaly that, that this game exists, and it's one of those little games that could, kind of like we had with, actually, with Resident Evil itself, with Mega Man, it was the same thing. Is Under these giant mega corps, just somehow one snuck past the goal, like a yeah. fresh IP snuck past the goalie and, and wowed everyone. Right. But well, I guess we got to get into the story. Yeah, let's jump in. I want to start with Glenn Schofield. Yes. Uh, it's Schofield, not Schofield. Right? I never heard it out loud. There's tons of videos of him uh, online, a lot of dev diaries, a lot of interviews. Yes. Uh, and he, what shocked me the most is that, like, the entire Visceral team are very much, like, workmen. These are professional uh-huh. guys who've been doing this. Like, by the time they made Dead Space, these were guys that were doing this their entire careers and, like, he started as a commercial artist and like kind of got picked up by. Oh, do you have the notes? Yeah, I've got many. I've got notes, okay. baby. You know, you know me. I noted up all week and stuff. <laughs> it's super fun. Of uh, my favorite thing these days is just like notes and eating <laughs> burgers. Uh, his parents encouraged him at a very young age to draw and uh, take art lessons. His big influences are. I kind of love these influences because they're all like sci-fi. Like they're clearly like the guy who was gonna go make Dead Space, Asteroids, Moon Patrol, Moon Patrol being uh, one of the first. 
kind of platformers, right? And a lot, or it had the oh, I know what it is. It had parallax the, scrolling. Parallax scrolling. It was the big first ever parallax scrolling where the background moves slower than the foreground to make uh, give it dimension. Gunstar Heroes, Disruptor, and the Contra series. Later on, of course, Resident Evil and Gears of War would become big influences, and I think you can see that in the monster design from Gears of War uh, and. The basic kind of the way that it just feels with that third person quality and Resident Evil 4, which we'll talk about more in just a second. He got his BFA at Pratt Institute and his MBA from Golden Gate University. So it's not like he's, you know, he's not like Ivy League in it or anything like that. No, he's a very much like he's one of those horror mooks that is just like like completely uh, informal, like not no totally. hoity-toity uh, kind of I, it's just like. It'd be fun, cool if you know guys like face turned into like claw eyes, and, then and of course, of course, that guy would end up you know getting his first gig with Absolute Entertainment in New Jersey, New Jersey, and this very small. They made ch- shovelware. They made crap, crap license games. Um, Literally, do you know what his first game that he worked on was? It was oh, uh, I don't know what the first one is. In an interview, he was talking about how he started Simpsons, getting- Batman meets Bartman meets Radioactive oh, Man. Yeah, it's, okay, the <laughs> first one, he, one the first one he officially did was the Game Boy uh, port of the Barbie NES game. Yes, that's literally Mister right. Mister Dead Space, Miss who like Mister Hardcore game if, when if. We get to his later career uh started out just being this just work a day yep. like fantasy sci-fi pop illustrator doing like airbrush game covers for other companies home alone 2 lost in new york a, a classically horrible game that we talked about on our home crap, alone episode crap. awful games these are terrible street fighter the movie the game ink, ink, a who's who a fucking <laughs> a fucking dirty dozen of shit it's just all of that licensed bullshit that came out around that time you just every movie every Every TV show had a horrible game. I, I, I learned my lesson after, like, the 20th rental from Blockbuster. I was like, that's it. No more <laughs> renting, like, a TV show you like the video game. It's always No way, terrible. man. Bart versus the world is going to be it. I'm, this one's going to be the one. <laughs> By the way, if you ever, if you gave me, like, a loaded handgun and a copy of Bart versus the world and was like, <laughs> one has, to, you have to either play this or shoot yourself in the fucking dick, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would shoot myself in the dick in twice. The dick. Yeah, for sure. Just to make sure they don't ask again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, Absolute Entertainment, you have to love it, of the name chosen so that it would appear one above Activision, mm-hmm. uh, as as always, always is. And I believe Activision, they did the same thing, so that's kind of funny. And, uh, yeah, he ends up moving to Seattle, where he makes a big leap uh, in career, uh, becoming vice president of Crystal Dynamics. We've talked about Crystal Dynamics before in our Tomb Raider episode. They took over the franchise when it was failing and rebooted it with Tomb Raider Anniversary, and that led to the more current reboot boot of Tomb Raider with Rise of the Tomb Raider, all that stuff, um, after they were acquired by Square Enix, and um, at the time, uh, Schofield was heading up two franchises for Crystal Dynamics, Gex and Legacy of Kain, but then he ends up making a big move over to EA Redwood Studios, uh, which started out as EA Redwood Shores in 1998. This is this happened, uh, this EA like split off, happened after Electronic Arts moved from San Mateo, California to Redwood Shores. And the studio's first game was Future Cop, LAPD. 
just the most generic ass bullshit mm-hmm. name of a game. Uh, but most of the other games were again licensed movie type stuff. Um, Schofield was trying to get them to do more original IPs, but they were very much resistant. And instead, he's initially working on Lord of the Rings and 007 from Russia with Love, and that is the game. Uh, during which he met Michael Condry. Michael Condry is going to be his like life bro partner in crime, doing all this uh, game design stuff. He was uh, executive producer, um, Schofield was, and Michael Condry was the director of 007 from Russia with Love. Uh, so already, so already mm-hmm. the narrative is broken. Already the idea that Visceral Games was this scrappy studio that like uh-huh. EA put under its thumb and like forced to do shitty things. It was. A guy who made shovelware working on the EA internal development studio, working on licensed games like uh, Cyber Tiger, the weird, cute version of Tiger Woods's golf, like the arcade Tiger Woods games, NASCAR Rumble, uh, Road Rash Jailbreak, which was one of the many horrible Road Rash things. Man, I miss, dude, but good Road Rash is so good. So this is how dire EA was, is they were so deep into shovelware, or not shovelware, but like licensed game hell, that Honest to God, their last successful internally developed IP was Road Rash. That wow. fucking 16-bit motorbike game. That wasn't like a sp- yeah, that wasn't a sports game. That or- wasn't a, yeah, but that wasn't a sports game that wasn't a movie tie-in that wasn't a comic book tie-in. And so like Yeah, I love Road Rash though. Why can't we have good Road Rash? EA, and that's why. Skate 4 Road Rash. Come on. Let's see it. Let's hear it. Let's have it. <laughs> I loved Ro- you didn't you don't remember Road Rash? I do. It was great. Yeah, it was. I, it, I just sh- feel like you're not giving Road Rash enough love right now, and it's making me very upset. No, I'm just trying to lay out my deep <laughs> thesis for this episode. So okay, because did we say earlier, like, yeah, the narrative is right that most people look at it as, yeah, scrappy, get big on this IP, and then EA ruins it by ma- forcing them to ma- make it like the other gaming conventions that are currently going on, online multiplayer and uh, microtransactions specifically. And that, from a distance, is the case. But, as you said, pulling the carpet back, we see a little bit more of a glimpse. We see little bits of cat poo <laughs> under that carpet. No, that these were just working, these were just working people. The, the kind of... Uh... The kind of employees that didn't like, get into games because it was part of the vision or the future of interaction or like the greatest art form of the 21st century. It was just a f- fucking job. But he is he is still fighting for original IPs. I mean, you do have that element. and But of course, his idea is the idea that everyone at that time had a sequel to System Shock. I feel like System Shock, the more I do research on gaming... System Shock is maybe the most important IP <laughs> on the planet. It it led to all these different games, all of the, it inspired, you know, BioShock and all that stuff. It inspired all these different fragmented game dev companies. It's unbelievable. Everything seems to go back to System Shock. Well, I mean, it's uh it really it just solved so many creative problems uh in the art form of trying to walking around a virtual series of rooms uh-huh. shooting stuff and uh-huh. and giving it kind of a deeper story. I mean, god, like I lo- I loved Dead Space, but like there's only so many times you can pick up a recording that's like diary entry number 74 <laughs> alpha. Everyone's flipping their shit, but it's probably nothing. <laughs> uh the head doctor just stapled his own daughter to his face. 
but uh, I'm sure he's just tired. Uh oh, something's rattling at my window. I'm going to leave this diary recording when I. <laughs> oh no! Oh, it's entering my nose and laying eggs in my body! End I, of recording. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it definitely. Deadspace, around this time, yeah, Deadspace, Bioshock, Deus Ex, all of these games are really making the recording thing, uh, d- jer- diary entry thing, like get old really fast. Dear Diary, the captain wants us to round up all the dogs and light them on fire. I don't know if this is a good idea, but whatever the captain says, <laughs> nothing bad's going to happen. <laughs> So all of this changes. At first, it's just like system shock, system shock, system shock, system shock. That's actually hard to say multiple times very fast. Uh, all of this changes, though, after a little-known horror game called Resident Evil 4 came out. Scofield said, one of the things I would say to the team is, we're going to make Resident Evil in space. Um, and that's what they did. I mean, the uh, Resident Evil 4 really was uh, just a, an incredible... Uh, ad- advance that kind of sh- changed the way action games and especially third party action games uh, were, you know, everything from Gears of War to uh, even when we covered in the Resident Evil episode, uh, Devil May Cry <laughs> ended up becoming like its own game because of that. Right. Um, yeah, third person action came roaring back because yes. of Resident Evil 4. Totally. Huge, huge way. Uh, and uh, by the way, I want to mention a couple things about Michael Condry. Don't know as much. Schofield, definitely the more vocal of the team. Yeah. Uh, but uh, like Schofield, Michael. Michael grew up in a middle-class household. They both had fathers in construction. He graduated in 1997 from the University of Washington, uh, and he was always, like, a really smart dude. I kind of hate him because he's, like, got this cool dude life, and I just don't understand how people get these cool dude lives. But essentially, uh, his senior thesis on biotechnology was published in Molecular Ecology, which is a scientific journal. Then he ends up working as a scuba diving instructor and boat captain in the Cayman Islands before moving to Seattle to pursue a graduate degree. But oops, sorry. Instead, he got a summer job at Electronic Arts. (laughs) How the fuck do people have these lives? I had to struggle for like 10 years getting nothing. This guy just seems to go from great cool dude thing to great cool dude. He's like a super scientist, then he's fucking going fucking swimming with sharks. Set up, just set up like a, a bulletin board in your house that just has the words cool dude stuff written on it <laughs> and kind of just lay out your visual guide to how you're going to achieve that. The job that he got at EA led to the move to Redwood City where he became studio chief operations officer and senior developer director on a new IP called Dead Space. Schofield said... I have I had made a lot of games that people wanted me to make, and I was happy doing it because making video games. But this one, I wanted to really make my creative side just really happy. And I think that it there is something to say about being forced to create bad Home Alone games and stuff that would just push you to a point where you really wanted to take a big step forward in your career and really bring something new to the table because you're just constantly writing other, you know, weird additions to other people's stories using their characters, but just in a terrible way. So this is him wanting to prove himself, I think. So originally they had this System Shock sequel pitch 
and they're pitching it and they're getting denied and so finally they recreate their pitch to make it more like Resident Evil 4 um, to make it more dar- darker and creepier, as Schofield put it. Schofield said, We are all such huge fans of the horror and sci-fi genres. We wanted to create the most terrifying game we could and keep the player on the edge of their seat the entire time. And he still felt games had not yet gotten as scary as good horror films. And I love that he mentions this because I agree. I agreed with him up until he made his game. I think that really Dead Space was the first game, and maybe it doesn't age as well. But I haven't played it's, it ages pretty all it ages right. Pretty all right. I mean, from the, the footage I watched, I'm like, this is pretty the, still pretty the, strong. The thing about Dead Space is, uh, if you play it again with fresh eyes, a lot of the things that it did right, a lot of the things that it revolutionized, are still amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. Which we will have to go into a section of like once they start developing all the cool things they did do. Oh yeah, I've um, got a whole thing on that. And the only the the parts where it finally falls apart is when. Uh, they're clearly padding out the game by reusing segments and reusing all the novelty. Once the novelty is gone and you're, they're just padding it out because it's a video game and it has to yeah, be a certain length, I, I wish that, that's when it falls apart. I wish that games weren't so compelled to do that. And this has been one of my big issues lately. And I'm almost feeling it a little bit with Sekiro a little bit, even though you know it really is ingrained in the story. But they're like, hey, remember that area you played through? Mm-hmm. Here it is again, but the enemy setups are different, and it's different now, right? And you're like, yeah, but I was just... I, I've done this environment. I wanted like a different environment. I would rather the game end earlier mm-hmm. sometimes than to recycle and do weird stuff like that. It's like, I don't... If I have a, an amazing 20-hour experience, if I have an... It, the worst most egregious one, in my opinion, was Alien the alien game what was it called resurrection or um isolation isolation that was the most egregious version of like we're still going (laughs) just end the game it was awesome i was so frightened of the alien it rocked everything about it was great we don't need another 10 hours of this game for me to feel like i spent my money properly you guys killed it we honestly people talk about this grand tragedy of like game glut about how we're just like inundated with these new titles and you know there's going to be a collapse of like just give us some great 10-hour games. Yeah, oh yeah. And th- as consumers, we'll be happier for it. Definitely no one needs to go over 30 hours. No one needs to. It it used to be needed because we used to be in situations where like, you know, that was the only game, you know. I I, I mean, I guess maybe kids it's, still deal with this, but it's like no, a JRPG like Final Fantasy VII was amazing to me as a kid because I was like, dude, I this game like, will last me for like three months. It's instead of it's still going, you're like, it's still going. Yes, <laughs> and and that feeling has largely gone away for me, and I don't know if that's growing older and having less time, or if that really is just me realizing, like, I don't know, films are as long as they should. Like, <laughs> I don't think documentaries, well, documentaries, give and take, definitely comedies. Like, I hate seeing a two-hour-long comedy. Mm-hmm. I want an hour-and-a-half-long comedy. Perfect length. Perfect length. Let's let's nail it. Let's Hell, get it in the can. Go nuts. 72 minutes. Go nuts! <laughs> 72! Like, honestly, it's not a big deal to me. Uh, we're, but yeah, we're, getting, yeah. we're getting off topic, but here's the thing. I want this future to be. I want my glorious 10-hour uh, cornucopia, but then one game's going to come along that is an actual, like, the, you know, a Grand Theft Auto-style, like, thousand hour game and it's gonna clean up and everyone's gonna go chasing that tail again Ugh, well i mean it's already happening with fucking red dead 2 which i kind of hated and the 
definitely the biggest thing I hated was the length and how it felt like they just kept recycling the same mission type over and over and over again and expecting me to like get something new out of it every time and it wasn't even entertaining to me like the shootouts were fucking boring in my opinion you know um especially after <laughs> oh, we can't hours do this again. Of we them. can't do this again we all right back to redwood <laughs> back to a little well what? so uh around this time ea is actually real seeing other companies succeed with original ip they're understanding that they're kind of like the the old method of just putting james bond on a you know on a rental box and calling it a day isn't going to work and the true hits because uh, when you get to AAA publishing it's a hit based business is going to create is about making like original properties and making them multimedia things and you know just just kind of owning the conversation so there was so feelers went out and you know the idea was Hey, give us your IP ideas. Give us original ideas. And within Redwood, you know, because we think of Visceral as a single thing, but really Redwood was, uh, the, the Dead Space team was one team within EA Redwood because while the Dead Space rumblings was happening, while Glenn's team was like, uh, you know, making concept art and, you know, pitching gameplay ideas, uh, Redwood was actively making like a James Bond game and the Simpsons game and a Sims game and all these other projects were, were happening and EA at any point could just pull the plug. And as the one, I, as the one uh, group within the greater uh, studio that their idea wasn't reliant on a license that they paid hard money for, they knew they were the most disposable. So in a GDC talk, Ian Millam uh, talks about how this is amazing to me. This blew my mind. The Dead Space team, I think at one point Glenn wanted to call the title Rancid Moon, <laughs> which once Dead Ruby, S- Ruby, 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 <laughs> Oh, Jesus. <laughs> uh, which, considering Dead Space 3 actually involves giant creepy moons, it's actually interesting. Anyway, they began what they called internal uh, PR. So, like, at any given opportunity, they would showcase demos of what they were working on. They, in fact, like they had made multiple demos before their sh- game even got greenlit in order to keep buzz about the project up within EA. Uh, Glenn talks about how he literally like sat down the uh, like the, the the line cook at the cafeteria and just made him play an early version of Dead Space. Nice, just so Love the, it. he's fi- because the the fucking lunch guy is face to face with every important person at the company, and the, he hopefully he'll be like, "Hey man, you see that thing Glenn's working on? That's fucking crazy! You're in a spacesuit and shooting gangly monsters." Uh, Ian talks about how they would show up to other EA game events and just set up uh, Dead Space booths there <laughs> just to like keep the project in other people's minds because nice. they knew how precarious this was. Yes, very cool. I love hearing about tactics like that. Uh, in fact, even though the game uh, you know was three years or so in like the rumbling making of or whatever, the actual final game itself took like something like 10 months to actually get out the door because they did so much iterative work on refining and pitching and kind of honing the feel of the game before they could even get it greenlit. Mm-hmm. So within this group of workaday Joes, the, the spark of idea happened and they were like, I, I guess not. They, they were just professional and like they understood the business and they knew how to get it fucking made. They were heavily influenced by the film Event Horizon, as you mentioned earlier, Schofield says. 
The idea of a spaceship going to hell, man, that's something just crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, like me. And I wanted to create something like that. I found Event Horizon to be put a little New Jersey on it. I found a hey, uh, found Event. I don't uh. like less Italian, (laughs) more more mechanic. I found Event Horizon to be successful in creating the storytelling that is just done in the backgrounds. One of the characters is standing with their back up to the cockpit, in the cockpit, and the light goes on, and the uh, and the glass behind is just covered in blood. It's not normal looking. It looks like just something awful's happened. And this character here has no idea. <laughs> and I wanted to get that feeling somehow all throughout the game. We wanted you to have moments of relaxation, but not too much. Uh, I really do love their choice of protagonist in Isaac Clark. Mm. He is a non-speaking protagonist, but later he will be voiced uh, in the sequels. Uh, but I love the idea, and I think that that helped me get into the mood of being really scared, that he's just this engineer. Mm-hmm. He's not like a mercenary, which, uh, you know, foreshadowing to mistakes they made with uh, Dead Space 3. He's like this normal, he's just like has a normal guy job. He's not prepared to fight horrible space monsters. And he's there to like seemingly fix, do a simple maintenance fix on this ship. And and then it has no idea what he's gotten himself into. I think that's a really good, I th- horror I think works best when you are really out of your element in every way. And of course in a horror game, it always gets a little silly. Kind of like we mentioned the Tomb Raider reboot before, like... Oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm in this horrible situation, and then all, like 30 minutes in, you're just fucking blasting, Headsh- dude. headshotting yeah. trained mercenaries with a bow and arrow from a treetop. But you do feel, and that game, Dead Space has a little bit slower of an incline of no, murder, absolutely. though. And absolutely, absolutely, and really made you feel incredibly vulnerable early on in that game. So, let me get into so Isaac. Get into uh, it. The material design is another huge thing that they did correctly on this game because Isaac's uh, outfit, the iconic Isaac outfit, is uh, oh, literally so cool. like a future welder's mask. And like he's basically in a Carhartt space jumpsuit with just like kind of heavy leather and like just thick canvas. And he's he's not like running around. He's like stomping around in these magnetic work boots. And uh, again, th- you got to watch the GDC talk because it really just is amazing. It took some finding. You got to go deep into the archives to really get it. But the use of power tools instead of yeah. uh, conventional military weaponry, the plasma cutter is just such a like classic video game weapon design. Uh and, but it, also very specifically designed around the concept that, hey, we I mean, having it be an engineer with engineers we'll, so we'll is get, perfect we'll, because, yeah. you know, of the lopping off of limbs, which we're, we'll talk about more. But, like, what hacks off? What, you know, it's not going to be laser guns. It's going to be these engineer tools. So smart. I mean, it gets a little bit crazy yeah. when, like, oh, yeah. the idea is like, yeah, this is the line cutter. We use this to cut lines. What's the alternate mode? It uh, wire traps. <laughs> well, that's not. But uh, just- I loved the upgrade system, though. Uh, it felt very rewarding oh. in that game. I, I really immediately just like, oh. Horror games need really simple, and Resident Evil, especially the more recent Resident Evils, have done it so well. Very simple upgrade system. Very simple, clear, concise. Um, uh, you know, it's like almost like a vending machine, right? That he walks up to the bench. And, the yeah, bench. The bench. Is- and it felt just very smooth, very simple. You don't really want a lot. I think survival horror is at its best when it's very bare bones feeling, and and that includes 
the looting and the and the upgrading and everything. It should be very simple because that's conveying that feeling that this is like a especially in Dead Space where it's like a straight line. You know, mm -hmm. you're only backtracking if you want to to go back and find stuff. But for the most part, you were just on this journey and you're not thinking too much about like, oh, I got to get the 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 G parts and the Z cannon and I got a bit the blue little no blue, no just blue. fucking spend those notes however you want uh don't waste all your money on health packs get good uh <laughs> uh oh the feeling of relief when you stepped into like the uh the store and came out with a new rig yeah was so satisfying so satisfying uh the Psycho! Oh God, my brain is in a million different places. Mm -hmm. uh, back to Isaac. Yes. Um, oh, by the way, really quick, Isaac uh, Clark, named after sci-fi writers Isaac Asimov and Arthur C. Clarke. Do we even need to Clark. explain that? One. It's I'm so just on the nose. Gotta say it's it. so on the People nose. People, I didn't know Arthur C. Clarke. Ah, um, so even the even the way the other characters treat Isaac within the game, he's a he's a fuck. He's an IT guy. Half the game is just like trying to fix this machine yeah. where you try and fix one thing and it just unveils another problem and it's it's to anyone that's ever tried to like fix their parents computers the feeling is like oddly uh familiar the fact that he is an everyman that he's masked that he's silent and like you're just like you're just alone you have this arsenal uh you're kind of upgrading on the fly so like you know, if you don't like a certain weapon, you can kind of just ignore it. And then, like, kind of by the end of the game, you're like a fucking killing machine. You're wrapped in armor. Yeah. And you finally feel safe. You finally feel confident. The fact that, like, all of the... There's some, like, we, we don't have to get all HR Giger here, but the fact that the main character is encased in metal armor, he is, in fact, closed off from the world and can kind of disconnect himself, and it is up to the necromorphs, the pointy, uh, every, the theme of the necromorph is about uh, penetration and getting inside of the case of Isaac, that uh, death does not happen when you are slashed, death does not happen when you are, when you are, uh, when, when, when you are troubled, you do not, like, kind of just keel over. You are always uh, broken. You are always torn asunder within the game. The necromorph represents not only uh, a, a, a fear of death, but a fear of violation. And the kills, if we're talking about that, very well done in this game. Uh, I want to say it was some of the most early... I can't remember. Did Resident Evil 4 have very specific animation kills for every single different monster Not like Dead Space had? I feel like Dead Space was... I, I don't want to be wrong about this. So uh, The the anime... Okay, so the animation system within the, Dead Space was way more sophisticated right? than what was used in Resident Evil 4. It was, it was like but in Resident Evil 4, the if the baghead came up to you, he could just lop your head off with a unique chainsaw animation. Right? So it, that had unique animations. I think this had more unique animation so like if you were on the ground versus if you were in a different uh, on your feet versus if you were floating in the air if you were in zero gravity if you were on the floor if be... you were grabbed by a tentacle uh what the devs talk about a lot in interviews is the tentacle is how <laughs> much effort it was to layer all these animations even isaac's suit has all those like uh, interconnected metal parts, yeah. which uh, with you know, which I'm not even a I'm not even like a, a game developer, and I could tell that would have to be a giant pain in the ass to animate because those things will clip through whatever you like try to do. So another big thing that this game did right was polish, because oh my god, it's so polished. They um they're basically uh, they're using the Godfather engine. <laughs> it's not it's not unreal it's not uh it's not unity it's not anything popular there was it was just whatever the redwood studios had lying around 
Uh, so like Dead Space and The Godfather are like built on the same engine. I it, this game to just just to show you how polished this game was because you never hear this ever. I've never re- read about this researching a video game that was a big hit. This game was shipped two weeks early because they had <laughs> got all, because they got all of their bugs. Yeah. They he said they even got the C bugs like the lowest tier bugs like the biggest kind of like oh if it ships with that it's not gonna be a big deal. They got every bug. That's fucking crazy. Hey folks, Holden here, and today I want to talk about Quip. Quip is a better electric toothbrush created by dentists and designers. It's super lightweight and easy to use. Quip doesn't require a clunky charger and runs for three months on one charge. It's kind of amazing. One of my favorite things about it is just how sleek and tiny it is, so easy to travel with, all that good stuff. Also, brush heads are automatically delivered on a dentist-recommended schedule every three months for just $5. Did you know that three out of four of us use bristles that are old, worn out, and ineffective. I'm one of the three of the four. I always wait way too long to get a new toothbrush, but that's in the past. Quip solves that problem for you. I get mine in the mail on time every time. Lastly, I love Quip because before I had it, I was brushing wrong, just like the 90% of us who don't brush for a full two minutes or don't clean evenly. Quip has a built-in two-minute timer that pulses every 30 seconds to remind you when to switch sides. That's why I love Quip and why they're backed by over 20,000 dental professionals. Quip starts at just $25, and if you go to getquip.com forward slash wizard right now, you get your first refill pack for free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack for free at getquip.com, G-E-T-Q-U-I-P.com slash wizard. Get yours today. So, yeah, the game, people loved how smooth and seamless and polished it was, and that took a lot of work. Um... Uh, so they were all about this team was all about innovating and I have a great quote here yeah let's Sco- get into Schofield what before this we game get yeah different. before we get into all, all of the just the little touches that they added to make this such a unique uh, horror IP especially at the time it came out Schofield says our rules of developing dead space were no HUD character never talks we were gonna do dismemberment all big moments are going to be interactive and everything is going to run through the filter of innovation. Meaning everything that we do in the game should be innovated on whether it's the HUD or the things that we called out or not. Even just his look, there's something you've never seen before. So one innovation was unlike Resident Evil where when you wanted to shoot, you kind of had to stop and and start, you know. And Yeah, it was part of the Resident Evil basically Bible that you don't run and shoot at the same time. So this game, you can move and turn and you're shooting in this seamless way. And I remember feeling that smoothness and really feeling like I was playing a next gen video game. Like, oh, wow, this is like this is the PS3. Like, okay, right? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The the HUD thing is genius. Honest to God, a truly genius move. To highlight the point when they were pitching the idea to executives, they actually showed a clip of uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake (laughs) and then replayed the same scene with just a giant life bar and ammo counter and radar (laughs) on the same screen. Just to highlight how disconnected and how like it just neuters horror when you just have all this information on screen. So what they did with the rig was obviously I don't have to it's it's there in the game uh, your spine is your health bar uh, each gun has a hologram projection of your ammo count right. 
Um, Scofield says, we wanted you to feel like you were Isaac. That's why you don't see a lot of HUD up. We're talking about HUDs, and somebody said, you know, I once thought I saw a HUD on the back of a scuba diver's back. I'm like, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, deep water, that's where the idea came from, because... He's a space engineer. was like, because I kept saying, how do we put it on the character? How do we put it on the character? One of the engineers realized that there are times that Isaac was getting killed, and you would see his back, and it would still have green on it. So the engineer went in and made sure that every time Isaac died, that thing went red, and that you would just see part on his back um so yeah they, they, it was in the universe of the game i love that they justify this because there's uh there's all these posters everywhere that is basically one of the best world building parts of the game and one of them just and they're all unique you don't really see uh repeating posters within the first dead space game one of them is just like a kind of like workman safety thing and he's pointing mm-hmm. at the rig that's all green and it just says like working out in space, make sure someone's watching your back. <laughs> uh, another subtle innovation was enemy spawn points. They didn't want the enemies to just be <laughs> inside a room every time you open the door. What? I mean, it's like in Doom Three, which was uh, which popularized the term monster closet. Yes, and this is a game closet. Yeah, has yeah. a lot of monster closets. Yes. Uh, in Doom Three, there would literally be just a monster standing by in a in a locker, <laughs> waiting for you to open it right. so it could go blah. Yeah, yeah. And this solution that you're going to describe is clever, but like not that clever right. after the first couple of times you see it. So they had these vents, and the enemy would come out of a vent in the room, depending on where the character moved in the room. So they wanted to make it a little bit more. Uh, like you said, just not just standing right out there in the open. They wanted to make it feel a little bit more like, oh, how I interact with this space is how the monsters will interact with me. Uh, Which it sounds, it's one of those things that just sounds so obvious today, but you know back then they were like, oh shit, dude, we fucking got it. Fucking go Even in here. Aliens, like the aliens get around, the xenomorphs get around through the vents. It seems like such an obvious thing. Right, right. Uh, my fa- They use this all the time for jump scares like maybe the most liberal use of like oh that's just a dead body on the ground I'm just kidding uh, to the point where by the end of the game you just enter a room and you're just stomping corpses yeah. <laughs> like when I think of playing Dead Space I just think of many many minutes just paranoically stomping on corpses <laughs> trying to get them to burst so you can like steal the money in their gullets or to make them wake up and be like hi you didn't trick me And I do want to mention the dismemberment innovation one more time because even today it feels like an innovation where every single (laughs) fucking game is headshot, headshot, headshot. headshot, headshot. headshot. And it's like, so the idea that, no, the way you need to play this is to actually rip and tear, is to actually, (laughs) you know, cut, remove body parts, and that's how you're going to kill them. And I think that that still is a smart choice. Part of the puzzle of each new enemy is to try and figure out which parts do you cut. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had those. Oh god, I hated those pregnant guys. They were like these enemies that, like, if you like missed, you would open them up and like more shit would come out of them. Right. Um, this is interesting. Uh, they included a pulse rifle, kind of like a classic aliens weapon, and it was kind of a joke because in a game that's all about dismemberment, the kind of narrow just machine gun was essentially useless. But then I started watching speedrunners, and speedrunners fucking love that gun <laughs> because uh, there's like a half. If you want to speedrun Dead Space, you barely kill any uh, necromorphs. Yeah. Uh, the machine gun uh, in- induces like a stagger effect. So, like, the entire game is literally just 
uh, necromorph. I want to keep saying xenomorphs. I, necromorphs yeah. screaming at you. You give them like a little pip pip, and they go like, "Yes, yeah," <laughs> and then you run past them. Uh, also, I, keep- I really wish they did go stop, <laughs> knock it off. Dear diary, I've been studying the marker, and it's telling me dark secrets. And I hope, I hope an engineer doesn't pew pew me later. Here are some other key strats. Uh, look at the floor constantly because it's built into the enemy AI. That like they'll hold off on attacking you for a second if they if the if the game knows that the enemy isn't uh, on screen. Ah, you know, because that's a good idea to prevent cheap kills. But that means if you literally just walk through the Ishimorgan and be like, I don't see you, I don't see you, <laughs> the enemy's back off for a second. And the final key strategy is just spamming uh, stasis as much as you can to freeze everybody. You also you mentioned the marker, and I did want to really quickly talk about the hilarious uh, uh, Scientology. Oh, uh, unitology. Cult. Unitology. Altman the cult be Worship of an alien artifact called the marker, uh, and they believe humans may have come from space, and and apparently it's there to represent people's illogical thinking about things they don't understand, and not uh, a criticism of religion, but uh, it clearly is Scientology. It's clearly Scientology. They collect large funds from members. They have multiple ranks within the religion, with uh, which gives them access to certain info, and they host uh, are host to many influential followers, such as CEOs and celebrities. Uh, another it's thing, so that, obviously, another thing that felt the most in innovative to me that just was technically such a great achievement we've already mentioned it before but the sound of the sound design Schofield worked uh with his longtime friend and collaborator Don Vecca and he felt that in a lot of games this is overlooked or they run out of memory or whatever so it's very sparse but he they, sound design was clearly a focus in this uh, one of the specific ones he mentions was uh, Schofield says one in particular that really got me was the Bart train room Don Vecca was telling me <laughs> one day he's like Glenn I was going on the Bart train Bart train by the way is public transportation train in San Francisco we went under the bay and it's the worst sound in the history of man or something like that and i'm like record it so uh yeah that's what you hear when it's like that screeching horrible noise i mean there's a there's a train room there's literally a sequence where you're just walking through a normal because there's a tram on the ishimura and all of a sudden everything you're not even you're not even fighting anything Uh and it's just so overwhelming and imposing the whole room shakes lights go off and you're hearing the bart train and it's just Madden. And another one that's opposite of that, it's about more about the absence of sound, is that amazing like spacewalk moment. Oh, it's God. It's so fucking well, there's, cool there's, and terrifying. Whenever, uh, there's a mechanic in the game where there's certain uh, rooms that have been like breached, and so there's no oxygen, and you can kind of hop from wall to wall using your magnetic boots, and you have a limited amount of oxygen. You can increase the amount of oxygen uh, through the bench and upgrades and rigs and whatever, but you don't have to use it if you just know what you're doing. And uh, because sound doesn't travel in a vacuum, they describe it as like what you would hear from just the vibrations traveling up your own body. Mm. So you just hear like what should be like explosions or just like light thumps. Yeah, it's so cool. And like uh, they turn up the sound of Isaac's breathing. So it's just like. (sighs) Yeah, it's terrifying. It completely changes the entire tone of the game. Mm -hmm. It's so well done. Uh, Yeah, it's the way that you smoothly move through environments. The sound is just so incredible, and (laughs) there's so much terror just around what's Uh, around the corner. Another sound sound designer by the name of uh, Dave Feiss, I want to say, invented a system called the Fear Emitter. (laughs) 
<laughs> which was an active uh, mixing uh, protocol that actually like, uh, you know, knew when you were approaching an objective or knew when you were walking away from danger. And so that weird like horror movie, you know, heavy strings and like metal ting, ting, tings that let you know something spooky is about to happen would actively respond to what the player was doing. Thanks to the fear emitter system. Uh, and it's gotten to the point where I looked on YouTube and you can actually find people who are just like uploading three, four hour chunks of just spooky Ishimura noise. <laughs> so a big difficult sequence for the first game as we wrap up our uh, on the first game. We'll talk about the other Never two. Never wrap! We'll talk about the other two in just a second. The we didn't dr- even get to how the when you dismember certain necromorphs and pick up the uh, items, pick up the pieces to use your kinesis ability to shoot at other necromorphs, you're actually holding an entire corpse object with the rest of the body invisible because that was the only way for the collision detection and to work. And now we're never going to talk about it, Son okay? of a bitch! Uh, one very difficult sequence for them was the famous drag tentacle sequence. And I do remember this because it was paced really well. You had just gotten through this crazy horror sequence, so you think you're going to get a second to breathe because they had at that point had established that oh we give you a little second to breathe then we throw another thing at you we build the tension throw another thing with you well this just kind of happens right after you had some crazy interaction and it's this tentacle pops out grabs you by the foot drops you to the ground and then you have to shoot shoot it off but apparently all of those things happening at once was very very difficult to do uh, because the tentacle has to pop out, find the target, wrap around the leg, drop him on his back, all in this seamless way. Schofield said, I went... Again, oh. remember, they're using the Godfather movie adaptation engine. <laughs> right, exactly, right? So he said, uh, I went away for a few days on a business trip. When I came back, nothing was working, but yet all the stuff was there, right? And it was done right, and it was done good. But they were like, Glenn, we did everything you asked, but it's a mess. And I'm looking at it going, yeah, it is, you know, it is. So two weeks of toil over this issue and they decide to have a different approach this is something they would continue to work with moving forward and he is he refers to it as layering management or peel the onion peel type of management where it's like let's do one layer okay do we get that right all right now let's add another layer okay is there a problem let's go back and fix now let's add the third layer because actually to do a sequence like that tentacle popping out finding the target wherever it is in the room grabbing it throwing it on its back and then you have to shoot the thing off all happening in this seamless awesome action sequence way is incredibly difficult to pull off especially for the hardware they're using at that time and the software but yeah uh, Schofield says about these difficult projects I like the ones that are hard because I'll say to the guys do you think another studio would do this and they say no I don't nobody can take that I'm like good so really the moment when they it's like they needed that teamwork success moment with the tentacle in order to essentially I think that's what propelled them through the whole rest of the process from the way he makes it sound like they had this big issue and they all worked together and they all figured it out and then had this perfect workflow together after that where they really seamlessly finished the game it worked so well for them that they ended up you know shipping two weeks early and all that good stuff and this game it's a hit it wins multiple awards including the dice award for action game of the year how, what do we say? Was it, I mean, Here's the, so was it a huge sales hit, though? Was it really, it like... It was. This is where we get into the weird nitty-gritty of it. Yeah, is yeah. It sells something like five, six million copies for an original IP that, like, came together for a scrappy team that, like, just got their shit done. This is amazing. Imagine what we could do if we actually gave a shit about this title. Right, right. I, I, I don't know. Speaking as someone who also works in a very weirdly, like, down to, like... 
commodified version of artistic expression. <laughs> Sometimes a small team of people just doing their jobs right creates incredible results. Yeah. And planning on doing something with incredible results is a different thing altogether. Yes, yes. It's, it's, it's great because it's like, oh, no shit. It's actually a really good game and people like it. Wow, wasn't expecting that to happen as opposed to, all right, now we need to make a sequel to this awesome game that everyone likes. Uh, so, of course, this is the another part where peeling back the carpet, you're like, oh, Schofield and Michael Condry, they now go off to form Sledgehammer Games, Inc., and they are now just pumping out the Modern Warfare mm-hmm. stuff, Call of Duty stuff. Modern Warfare 3, Advanced Warfare. And World War II. Uh, and they're happy off doing the thing. So, again, it's like... The I think f- even then, I think after uh, Glenn is since retired and now is just like living in a big mansion and sure. working on paintings. Yeah, sure. So, again, it's not like he fought for his IP and stuck around and then EA was like, no, we don't want you, even though you gave us this great initial game, we want to make it bad. No, he dipped and started yeah. making Call of Duty games. Yeah. Um, great call. I mean, I will say really strong Call of Duty games like Advanced Warfare, I think is really great. Modern Warfare 3 won, also won the Dice Award for Action Game of the Year. Um, I played World War 2. It was fun, you know, like they did a good job. But now we have Dead Space 2. Again, it's done under Visceral Games, but now with Wright Bagwell as director and David Woldman as producer, Ian Milham, we should shout him out. He is He's the, the uh, guy who did the GDC Exactly. Talk. He was the art director uh, for both games. I believe he stuck around for the third as well. Now, instead of a he ship- He landed at ILM of all places. Okay. Interest- interesting. Yeah, everyone- every- that, so, Actually, that, that's well-deserved. I yeah, mean, he's a killer art director. Here's another thing is- uh, Again, the great tragedy of visceral games, like they, the the bastards. Everyone that we're talking about landed on their feet perfectly fine. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, the sound guy ended up at Valve. Like everything yeah. is like it's it's very weird. So they decide to add multiplayer to this one. Um, essentially, you're either playing as a lurker or a human security <laughs> officer. Um, what? I was looking up whether or not this was any good, and uh, just listening to a random gaming podcast that. I'm sorry, I forgot it already. Uh, they just described how awkward it was when you're playing as one of the necromorphs, uh, specifically the uh, little baby ones, <laughs> because Dead Space 2 had baby ones, uh-huh. and you're just staring at like a dead toddler's ass the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> That's so weird. Oh, the daycare center scene. Oh, the daycare center scene. <laughs> I don't think I caught the daycare center so, scene. I know the eye needle, which we are God. culturally obligated to bring well, up. Well, they keep the eye needle thing as like a theme throughout the game. Like in Dead Space 2, they might as well just have a big banner from when you first wake up going, hey, something fucked up's going to happen to your eye. It's actually kind of... It's kind of interesting as a light motif throughout the game. Uh, Dead Space, oh, it's, so Dead Space 2 has a ton of great moments, but the daycare center moment is you're on this like kind of colony planet or whatever, and everything's going to shit. There's there's um, you know necromorph outbreaks. You're like in a straight jacket for the first section, but then you walk in and you see balloons and toys, and you start hearing like do 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 do, and you're just like. No, <laughs> no. And you walk past a window and there's like a scared colonist like hearkening a 
clearly like disgusting, bloated necromorph baby towards her. And she's like, that's right, sweetie. Mommy's here. Everything's going to be okay." And she hugs the baby. And then you hear a pop and the window goes splat with gore (laughs) and you can't see through it. Beautiful. (laughs) It's fucking gotta love. Gotta love the horror genre. Uh, The best thing. We'll get to the development, but I just have to. In the beginning of Dead Space 2, a great set, a thing that sets Dead Space 2 apart is the uh, kind of embrace of uh, set pieces. Like, you're in a straight jacket. You clearly were recovered from the ending of Dead Space 1, which was kind of a cop-out that relied on a dumb jump scare at the last second. Do you remember mm-hmm. that shit? Mm-hmm. Um, Endings of horror games are always just kind of like, oh, whatever. Just uh, maybe and- do the quick time event against the weird, like, giant head monster or whatever you're going to throw at me that's, like, massive. Uh, RE2, actually. RE2's second playthrough ending was pretty rad, actually. It had some really good set-piece, like, monster boss fights. So you're on the colony, you're in a straitjacket, you don't know what's happening, you hear explosions and screaming, and you're, like, trying to escape, and then a orderly kind of, like, grabs you by the shoulders and looks you in the eye that goes into, like, cutscene mode, and it's like, Isaac, don't worry, I know this is confusing, but I can explain everything, and then one of the, then his fucking face gets exploded by a mutator proboscis, <laughs> he, like, starts shaking and foaming, and then his face rips open and he turns into a necromorph in your arms (laughs) and the way it's just so blatant it's like hey isaac don't worry i know you're confused but i'll be able to explain (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah classic (laughs) it's like it was written by south park right right uh by the way we mentioned the needle in the eye moment and i want to like reiterate just in case you're sitting there being like what the fuck is the needle in the eye moment first of all you can quickly google the video of it (laughs) but it is just like you get into this machine and it just i don't even know why everyone's just like why did that happen I was reading a bunch of like question being like, um, can someone explain to me why this happens? But you lay down on this machine and a giant needle comes out and stabs you like way deep through your eye, like way, uh, way deep through your eye. The answer is to make us whole, Isaac. Isaac, make us whole. Mm. It's because your iris is technically open and it's the closest path to your brain and they ah. needed brain something. Ah. Um, so uh, and uh, instead of a ship, it's now a space city called the Sprawl and it's the whole plot is around destroying the marker that the unitologists worship. Um, this is the real marker, not the artificial marker that they made in the first one. Yeah, fuck those phony because markers. Because the government was being secretly controlled by the unitologists who were space Scientologists who were bad. Um, we, the the lore of this of this series is actually kind of all over the place. Um, yes. It was, uh, they hired a comic book legend, Warren Ellis, from Transmetropolitan, oh, among awesome. a bunch of other uh, titles, to uh, do a pass on it. And he did a lot of, like, the world building. Uh, but then individual members of the team were also involved in creating stuff like how the necromorphs worked and how uh, a lot stuff that was more related to how gameplay function was kind of their responsibility. Rick Remender, another comic book guy, uh, was brought on to write, but not as a comic book guy. Rick Remender actually worked for EA Redwood ah. before he was um, before he kind of came into prominence as a comic book writer. He also uh, wrote uh, Bulletstorm, which is one of my favorite <laughs> games ever. <laughs> uh, but whatever. So even and then on top of that, all the people contributing the novelizations, which I hear are awful, and the anime and the motion comics and all this other stuff that EA was putting out, even though. They do a good job of creating environments and like kind of uh, emotional uh, themes, but when people people aren't like really that into like how did Nakamura Ishi how did 
Nakamura Ichimura create the pulse drive or, you know, like the, the actual, like, I don't care about who the Unitarian Altman guy actually was. Unitologist. And I don't appreciate that gaffe because I was raised Unitarian. And oh, my not God. An evil Scientology. Uh, I completely blanked. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, it's true. I'm I sorry. was going to bitch about that. Actually, I'm like, it sounds too much like Unitarian. <laughs> um uh, there was an interesting interview with uh, executive producer Steve Papoutsis that was talking about how difficult it can be making a horror game because you become so numb. Like, you know what's around the corner. Mm -hmm. It's so hard to gauge what's really scary when you do know what's around the corner and you know everything about what's around the corner and every inch of the game. So The difference between, what the fuck is that? What the fuck is that? Versus like, ah, I see that's a level three necromorph stalker. Yeah, (laughs) and like, and there's the lamp I created in the corner. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And like, there's everything. So um, it was a lot of giving it to other- I completely misread what you were saying. It was a lot of giving it to other people. and No, but even that, like, knowing every detail about what's around the corner, like, you know, uh, but giving that to other random people and really needing to sit randos down and be like, watch them and, like, is are they frightened? You know what I mean? Engage it that way. And also talked about in, end of end of game polish where they're really looking at every setup in the game and trying to make sure that the player is either being properly guided by maybe a collectible in the corner might lead to a scary moment or not putting collectibles in a place where they need something else to happen and really refining specifically how that's got to be such an interesting mental game Mm -hmm. is is tapping into like i need this player to have some to feel like they're interacting in this environment but also have this very specific experience and reaction that i'm trying to get out of them and finding that perfect balance has got to be just very fascinating and involve a lot of tinkering. And so, and that's the way Dead Space, especially one and two, feel in a lot of ways. Like, it's very, like, I feel like I'm not just being controlled by the makers of the game, and yet at the same time, I'm getting all of the reactions they want out of me. I mean, you're being led along a very clear path. Yes. Uh, whether it's um, just the way that the path is laid out and various alternative paths are blocked by, you know, game debris yeah you know the you know game debris when there's like a hallway that clearly leads outside but there's like some planks laid out yes yes and any normal person would be like time to move those planks but in game world you're just like well that's cut off forever yeah because all i can do is walk into that um it was by the way oh and of course there's that uh that hot lady who's like also escaping with you in dead space three who's like isaac go do this thing i don't need you baka Uh, also, Isaac is now voiced by uh, and and faced by Gunnar Wright. Voice Isaac is kind of like an asshole, but mm. like if I survived a yeah, I a, think I'd probably be a dick. Event too. horizoning, I'd also be kind of terse. It makes sense that he'd finally just be like, you know, I'm a talk because I'm getting pissed. <laughs> uh, also, the stalkers in. Uh, Dead Space 2 were inspired by the Velociraptors from Jurassic Park. There is even a Clever Girls achievement. Did you, uh, was that a, did the Facebook uh, group lead you to that? Because I, I didn't hear that. I couldn't figure that yes, out. Yes, the Facebook group 100% led me Thanks, to that. Thanks, Facebook group. Um, and speaking of Facebook, there was a Facebook competition for fans to send in texts and video or art of a melee kill by Isaac. And the winner got their face in the game and got to be brutally murdered in it. Good So I wonder them. if that was the guy you were talking about, actually. Speaking of which, one of my favorite 
favorite things about doing research for this episode was for the advertising campaign, 200 women were selected for their conservative or for their conservative values and lack of familiarity with video games. Their reactions to a screening of the game were featured in EA's web and TV advertisements with the campaign slogan called "Your Mom Hates Dead Space 2." And of course, <laughs> it got a bunch of uh, criticism for reinforcing stereotypes against female and older gamers. I just feel like it's so funny because. That's such a 90s video game advertisement, but we're totally in, like, the, the late 2000s at it's, this point. It was way... Like, it's that is such a quintessential 1998, you know, TV it's advertisement like for a video game. <laughs> right? Just, like, this weird kind of, like, why is this... What? <laughs> uh, you're going to buy it because your mom hates it? That's such a fucking 90s concept. And uh, Dead Space uh, 1, 2, and 3's music, by the way, was compo- composed by Jason Graves. He also did the Tomb Raider reboot and Until Dawn. All games I'm big fans of. All games with wonderful mu- uh, music composition. Uh, do you have anything else on Dead Space 2, Jake Young? Oh, I mean, it's if I had to play one or two over again, I'd probably go with two. Just the... The polish and the kind of refinement is that much better. The set pieces are more engaging. The uh, the environments, like running around the sprawl, lets you kind of interact with more interesting scenarios than just running back and forth on the Ishimura. The uh, fact that they acknowledge that Nicole is dead the whole time and not act like it's a surprise <laughs> is, is refreshing. Uh, the eye scene is great. And they had more of a budget, so like... Uh, it's less repetitive because it really is Dead Space 1. Dead Space 1 has that scene, uh, has that segment where they have the unkillable necromorph. Do you remember that? Where you uh-huh. have to lure him into like the freezer and then the incinerator and all that. Mm-hmm. And you hear the audio logs with the scientists being like, my perfect baby. We are better than human. And you're like, okay, cool. That was a neat sequence and that was scary. And then they just bring him back five chapters later and you have to be like, oh, come on, really? Uh, meanwhile, Dead Space 2 also has unkillable monsters, but they utilize them way more like as its own kind of class of enemy, and it's just a fucking mindfuck. Uh, yeah, I, I, I definitely want to play Dead Space 2. I love the first one. There are those DLC episodes that you can like only get on like the boxed console release. I don't oh, even know wow. if you can. It's like lost to time. So are you sure you don't want to go back and play Dead Space 3? I never... I. No, but I, it's, it looks fine. Notably, Dead Space 3 trades out the oh, survival oh, also, horror oh, for we, action. We, we ha- okay, uh, so Dead Space 2 and Dead Space 3 happened after the newly formed Visceral Games because EA realized that like it's going to sound better if this hot new property is done by a cool renegade studio, renames EA Redwood to Visceral Games. Ah. And it gives them all these different projects uh, like their next big project was the ill-fated Dante's Inferno, which uh-huh. was the Christian like God of War knockoff with like the fucking titty levels and yeah. like the uh, absolve punish system, uh-huh. and the main character had like zombie necrotic flesh tattooed onto his body on in a cross form, and it was like extreme and was marketed even worse than than Dead Space Two. It was like uh, I think they like paid someone to name a baby. They mailed like dead animal parts to game reviewers. <laughs> I I should have done more research, but people hated uh, Dante's Inferno. It was like everything bad about Edge Lord gaming. Marketing. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and, and a time when that was really going away. It was in a huge so way. passe. And they made, like, Army of Two, which was, like, a forgettable shooter that, like, again, didn't move the needle. So they had to go back to the well for two and three. 
Notably, like I said, they trade out the survival horror for action. Um, the creative director on that game was Ben Wanat, and the uh, president of EA at the time, Frank Jabot, had this to say. We definitely do not want to piss off our fans by toning down the horror content in Dead Space 3. We tried to open up the accessibility of the franchise a little bit by adding a little bit more action, but not undermining the horror. So they had initially tried to do co-op, apparently, back in the first game, but they had a ton of issues, and they decided to drop it. Spoiler alert, this game is a bit of a co-op... It's not a co-op mess, it's just not... The co-op contradicts what the core concept of a survival horror game is, and even though they're trying to make it more of an action game, all of a sudden this game has a huge identity crisis from what you're hearing from me, right? You mm-hmm. know, like, it's like, well, what is it? Well, this they is needed a to survival inc- horror so game. So Dead Space 2 sold, again, similar numbers to Dead Space 1, and that's great for a horror game. Terrible for an EA franchise. Ben Lenat Especially si- a sequel. So how do you make... Th- because, like I mentioned earlier... The, the people on Earth that want to buy the buy the privilege of shitting their pants is very narrow. Yeah. So how do you make it a broadly a more broadly appealing game? You sell it as more of a sci-fi action game. Ben Lenat said, it was a situation where I think at an executive level, people were looking at a product and going, so this looks a little antiquated. You're doing a single-player-only game. At the time, every game had online multiplayer, and the executives did not like that Dead Space had none. Wanat said, it was not ever meant to be a co-op game, and it shows in the product. There were major issues figuring out when the characters would interact and what you're seeing in a cutscene. Wanat said, when you have a buddy in the room with you, does that make the game more or less scary? Ultimately less scary, because you feel safer with a friend. He also said, the first game did really well for itself for a survival horror game. It did quite well. I think as an EA game, they look at those numbers and say, you know, that was all right. It's not a Battlefield game. It's not a mass market thing. So that's kind of ultimately why EA doesn't do horror because they realize that the kind of portfolio games they're looking for, the kind of numbers they're looking for, it's not really a great value prospect for them. Uh, there were some interesting ideas. It's uh, I've read about them in other developer interviews and the Wanat thing is um, that they were going to introduce like a Shadow Isaac character. Yes, that, that was their original concept And that would explain work. how like there was another character who was following you and like could also comment and like experience the events with you or he could disappear if there wasn't another player present yeah. uh, which i think is very cool and he also talked about how he wanted to make it so that there was a concept of making it that each character would maybe see different things in the environment and, and be forced to communicate with each other to mm-hmm. get through areas and solve puzzles and stuff but eventually they just didn't have the money or time the, to impl- implement and both that. of those ideas that are lean into the fact that like the mystery of like horror are you going mad what is reality kind of deal but in the universe of dead space especially in the story of isaac the idea of him going like what's going on am i going crazy would be bullshit because he's like Oh, it's the thing that it's the alien thing that makes you see things. <laughs> I fought it to the death twice. Yeah. Yeah, no no, it's definitely the alien thing. I'm not going crazy. I'm probably going crazy, but I understand why. I'm not paying attention to you. <laughs> <laughs> when not said and then Shadow Isaac turned into, well, no, let's do something more mainstream like a soldier. All right, so Ugh. it's co-op play as a soldier. The soldier is Sergeant John Carver, Earth Defense Force, the most generic fucking bullshit. Generic boring. bullshit, and because the co-op feature was added very late into the development cycle for this game. There's many different debates on 
where like different people who worked in the game say different things, but I think at least at the very least, initially they were never gonna do it, and then um, early-ish on they ha- they were just started to become forced to implement it. And so they made him this generic white guy to counter to be a uh, partner with Isaac who you know please don't also a generic white guy uh, because it was the only way to make sure that their animation rigs they didn't have to rebuild them from scratch ah. when not said it was supposed to be a darker chapter of Isaac's story and it was supposed to lead Josh, up he's on the moon getting his eye ice picked <laughs> while a g- Great. And it was supposed to lead up to what was going to be, I don't know, I had it mapped out to like Dead Space 5, and I ended up shoehorning a lot of stuff into 3 during development because it didn't look like there was going to be a 4 or 5. He also says, I am pretty happy to see, though, that there is a massive amount of indie studios making very excellent survival and horror games. It's nice to see that the genre lives on. You just have to make them in very controlled small studio environments. You know, it's kind of funny because that's very similar to horror films horror films Mm -hmm. in the sense that you know they make they can make you a ton of money right especially if you're like an up-and-comer or indie filmmaker that's just like all you need is that one solid horror franchise and you will if making a 40 million dollar movie is your wildest dream horror is a great way to get into the business yes yes absolutely is to break in your dream is to make more than 40 million dollars horror is a terrible idea exactly um also Uh, we didn't mention um the dead space extraction which was the wii game uh, which was also released on PlayStation Network, but it was an on-rail shooter that got good reviews. It was apparently like very interesting, but they misread the Wii market so like insane because nobody wanted a mature game for that for that system. Uh, so many other companies kind of like were dashed against the rocks, saying like, "Well, there's 30 million Wii owners. Clearly, like a billion of them <laughs> want this like mature game." I think the final numbers on Extraction, I heard someone quote, was uh, n- literally 9,200 copies sold for the Wii. Wow, that Jeez. which is insanely bad. Uh, also, there was the mobile port, which uh, I remember playing on like my iPhone. No, not my iPhone, my iPod Touch. Like, it's that old. It was an early uh, App Store game. Uh, it has since been erased from history. You can't find it on Google Play. You can't find it on the iTunes App Store. Uh, I had to sideload, like, an illegal SDK that, like, hacked the game <laughs> so you could actually load it onto a phone. And it holds up pretty well. It's amazing how they translated the uh, Dead Space kind of feel and gameplay uh, to a touchscreen. So if you're an Android owner and want to go on shady Russian sites to install a 10-year-old mobile game... Give it a whirl. Also, uh, going back to Dead Space 3 really quick, of course there are microtransactions because oh. EA, and that was definitely another thing where the team, it was, it was as uh, when I put a very delicate subject with the team, and it was generally disliked, but you just get too much pressure oh, from every other game doing it and from marketing just being like, hey, we can make again, this much money if so you do it. Again, this is another thing that breaks the narrative is the idea that micro- microtransactions, which again, n- the level of microtransactions within Dead Space 3 now is like inoffensive. Yeah, completely yeah. inoffensive. Uh, Devil May Cry Five has like even more microtransactions. Even games that are like quote unquote good have way more microtransactions than Den Space Three does. But even then, it was EA's marketing team that was like, "You'll get a better cut if you do this." Yeah. And the Visceral team, missing a bunch of people from the original two games, said. Yeah, we're fucking workaday Joes just making this thing. Like, hell yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
so Dead Space 4 is canceled as sales fell for the third one by 26.6%. Uh, EA Labels president Frank Jabot said, In general, we're thinking about how we make this a more broadly appealing franchise because ultimately you need to get to audience sizes of around $5 million to really continue to invest in an IP like Dead Space. Uh, so there you have it. I think that's about all I have on the old Dead Space franchise. Uh, the Death Visceral Games was working on uh, Project Ragtag, which was this supposedly <laughs> legendary Star Wars game that also got canceled and the studio was dissolved. Uh, but again, this was never an indie studio. Yeah. This was an internal team at EA's, like, fucking game factory that just got a prestige label after they managed to, like, sneak one past the big boys. Yeah. And so, like, a lot of the people, you know, a lot of the people whose talents and drive made this series ended up on their feet, ended up fine. Um, And uh, EA said a lot of stuff like, oh, this is, uh, you know, the death of, like, linear single-player games. And people like to post shit like, oh, you think single-player games are dead? Like, well, check out God of War and Mario Odyssey and Sekiro and Soulsborne and, you know. And and Red Dead 2, yeah. That's the big one for. But the thing is, all those games aren't linear. Yeah. All those games aren't broken up into like levels and chapters and like so maybe just maybe the linear kind of game the is li- a little broken. The linear solo, yeah. But then it, but, a little bit unless it's a unless it is well, I mean Sekiro but the, but is But then the Japanese games yeah. came in and kind of settled that. So just, you know, when you're that massive, you're chasing trends. You're always going to be chasing trends always. because the invest you can't invest in an idea that you don't trust. Yeah, but it's it's and it's also you know, but and and you're also allowed to feel like that's gross and that's also <laughs> completely fine to just be so unabashed about how you face trends. Um, uh, all right, well, I think that's our episode. Thank you so I much. I guess you everybody. could say the true monster was capitalism. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say Capcom. thank you everybody for joining us today uh if you'd like to support us further patreon.com forward slash whizbrew uh we do bonus episodes every week it's just five dollars a month also um, make us whole join the patreon and and write a review on itunes rate and review us that always helps you can follow me on twitch twitch.tv forward slash holdnators ho jake uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Best Jake Young and uh, Dropout.tv. There's stuff on there like uh, Cartoon Hell. It's a show. I do. It's very funny. You should watch it. <laughs> and, and always remember, you fuckers, never stop bruising and keep on. Oh my God! He's my arms are cool knives now. My arms oh are cool knives. He's eating me alive. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. The South Dakota Stories, Volume 7. My trip to South Dakota was the best summer ever. Now, I don't need to go to Mars, because I've been to the Badlands. And I caught a bigger walleye than Dad when we went to the Missouri River. Then I rode my bike through these huge rocks called needles. Ooh, I also saw my first herd of bison, even a fuzzy furry baby one. I can't wait to go back and see more. There's so much South Dakota, so little time. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! 
the most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.